Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday Message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. We're in this series called Work Matters. And it's a big deal. Work matters greatly. The average person spends 90,000 hours in their work. 90,000 hours of their lifespan, on average, is going to be invested in the workplace. Whether you're a stay-at-home parent, which is probably a few more hours there, whether you are a student, or whether you are a CEO, that's a huge chunk of our lives devoted to that area. And we're realizing that every single person has a work worldview, a lens by which you see the world on work. Typically, this is a system of values that we inherited, either from the world or from our families of origin and from various places. But is our work worldview biblical? That's a great question. That's what we're after in this series. And, you know, I realized this last week as I was preparing for the message that the Bible is really a story of a people at work. All the way back to Adam and Eve. And, of course, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and even Moses. We had these people that worked in agrarian society, or they were household managers, And then on into the kings, the kings, the Jewish kings in the middle part of the book or just before middle part of the Bible. Huge administrators, weren't they? There are so many jobs. And then into the disciples, there were fishermen. Jesus was a shepherd. Paul made tents. All of these people, they didn't just have these holier, quote unquote, roles of pastor or missionary, did they? No, cover to cover in the Bible, we find a people at work. And one of those people is Bob here. Bob the Builder. <laughs> Bob, yeah. Bob. Is this working? I think it's online. Are we good? I, I don't know. You yeah, you're me. in. You're good. Tell you're us in. tell us who you are and what you do. Hi, my name is Bob Fulmer, and I'm married to Michelle Fulmer. So hey. That's, so uh, so I, who I am is, uh, first thing is I'm loved by God. Mm. I love that song about uh, uh, Father... What's the song? Yeah, who, um, yes. But, it's Gene's favorite song. But, it's who you are. Yeah, it's who you are. Who the line. Yeah, yeah, and the other thing that I am is I'm married to Michelle because yes. she has uh, brought uh, amazing, uh, she's loved me well for yeah. 42 years, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. So um, uh, I, I'm in a family business. It started by my father in 1946, so uh, we've been around for 76 years. So that's kind of cool. Wow. Uh, my brothers, I have two brothers, one older, one younger. I'm the abused middle child. Oh, gosh. And uh, we started working for my dad in 1974 uh, together. So we've worked together for 46 years. And mm. one of them's retired, the other one's getting close to retired. But we're in the, uh, we build warehouse buildings, industrial buildings primarily. <laughs> All right. And, and warehouse she, building fans. Yeah. One guy over there. And, Is uh, he one of your workers, sir? He's a supplier. Hey, did you plant him? Okay. Yeah. All right. Good. Big time supplier. Awesome. Glad to hear. Uh, but uh, yeah, the, our business has been amazing. Uh, we've been very blessed. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've primarily built industrial buildings, like I said. We built probably close to 200 million square feet of buildings over the years. Wow. And um, so they're not called, I've been around so long, that's not called warehouses anymore. They're called fulfillment centers. Yeah. Because uh, what's driving our, totally driving our business is the internet mm-hmm. and internet sales. Uh, come directly out of fulfillment centers yeah. to you through Amazon primarily. Right. And uh, the interesting thing is we're actually building a project right now for Amazon out in Rialto. 
and it's 650,000 square feet, but there will not be a single forklift in this 40-foot clear building. Wow. It's 100% uh, conveyors, so everything's 100% automated. Multi-levels, it's crazy. Holy cow. So, so lo lo a lot of responsibility there, obviously. A lot of influence and um, yeah, I'm the a lot of work. CEO. Yeah. yeah, so you're the leader of this organization. Right. And uh, Bob, although, by the way, also is a, one of our founding church members. He's an elder at large. Elder's a fancy biblical word for leader. And uh, so he's one of us. He's one of you. And Bob, I want to start with a question that we've been playing with, which is wh what was your work worldview that you inherited, yeah. either from family or from culture? Well, obviously, it was primarily shaped by my, my dad. Um, he, he lived a really balanced life. It was, it was, so he was a really good model for me. Oh, cool. um, I remember, I can't remember a single night that he was not home for dinner. Wow. I never saw him in the morning. He was always gone, but he came home every night. We had dinner as a family, sat at the table together. So I think that really shaped a lot. That's and then cool. obviously I saw him, how hard he worked. Uh, but he uh, was a very balanced life, which I think has translated to me. That's so neat. That's one big area. And then uh, I think the other thing that's shaped my worldview, um, and it's a story I've told a lot, but in, you know, our business is a very cyclical business. Yeah, construction always is. But in 19, uh, July 1st, 1976 uh, was a day we were bidding two jobs. Uh, and a month before that, my dad said to my brothers and me, he said, if we don't get at least one of these two jobs, all four of us are going to go our own ways. You know, I can no longer That's support it. you. So wow. July 1st, 1976. And we were very, I was very involved in a Bible study at the time. So we had a lot of people praying. Uh, and on that day, July 1st, 1976, we got both of those jobs. Hmm. So I think that, and so that's shaped me significantly too, because that was so saturated in prayer. And then when God chose to bless us with those two projects, then the business obviously grew rather dramat dramatically. Wow. From there. So that really shaped. So we, yeah. we, we, we established it on uh, God's principles. Yes. And uh, I think the other thing that really shaped me is Michelle and I, we got married in 1977. We, from the day we got married, we really committed to uh, being faithful in our giving. Hmm. Um, and I think that shaped my business career as well. Um, when, I, when we got engaged, I was making 600 bucks a month, and you know, we, we managed to t tithe our 60 bucks a month, and I don't know how we did it. <laughs> but, um, so, but we committed day one, and I think God has chosen to bless us wow. because of that. So I think that's a big part of defining our, uh, my business attitude. Wow, Bob, that's good. There's so much there to pull from. But one of the things I love you did there that should help shape our kind of work worldview is just the fact that you even prayed. You prayed to, to land those, um, you know, those relationships. And even that, I think, you guys, we should have permission to pray for favor or success in our, our businesses. Is that, is that wrong? Does God permit that? Well, well, yeah, I think so. Well, I don't separate my business life from my yeah. personal life right. and my spiritual life. They're, right. they're completely... Right, and we're going to get to that in a okay. second. But before we do, the other thing that you're talking about there is how, you know, work has shaped your faith. And that's what Bucky did such a wonderful job in the message last weekend. He said that God wants to do a work in and through us in the workplace. So he's actually using work. Why wouldn't he, right? It's 90,000 hours. Why wouldn't he use that time to do something in us? How has God used work, uh, Bob, to really shape your faith and, and shape you? Well, honestly... At least well over half of my relationships are work-related. Mm -hmm. So the influence that I'm able to have on people or other businesses is 
very personal. Yeah. And so I'm not the least bit shy about sharing my faith. Yeah. And uh, so that's been, a, you know, in being in the position I'm in allows me to do that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, being kind of the head of the company. Uh-huh. The boss, you can say it. Sort it's okay. of, yeah. You're the boss. Um, <laughs> but I'm, it's t- get me back centered. What yeah. was the question again? How it's work has shaped. You even oh. told that story. That yeah, was a yeah, faith yeah. leap. You guys like, yeah. you had to close the deal or you're let go, right? Yeah. I mean, that was yeah. that I'm must have shaped job. you. Yeah. Any other examples or, or ways that God has used work to shape you? And well, in your faith? Uh, you know, again, I don't separate my work life, so I get to share Jesus a lot. And then, um, but I also um, have decided consciously built back into the people that work for us. So okay. I, I mentor several men that work in our company. Uh, we have a Bible study, men's Bible study every week, uh, 15 or 20 guys. And, uh, and then, I don't know, Gene, maybe ask Gene, but I think, I think our company is known as an incredibly honest, uh, high integrity, and uh, I hope Gene can verify that. Uh, yeah, excellent. Yeah. yeah. All right. Again, the super fan over there. Yeah. I love that you planted a guy in the audience. That's brilliant. That's beautiful, Bob. And, and that's, that's really the sum of what we're talking about in this series is that there's an integration or, or the word we've been using is seamless. There should be a seamless move from our worship or our, even our Sunday morning experience, our faith, right into the other days and hours of the week. It should be seamless. It should be integrated. And so I love that you share with us this morning that God has used you in that way. That he's blessed you. He's responded to your prayers. And he's using you for those relationships. That's another really cool thing you said is that half your relationships are work relationships. So far be it from us to preach up here about go after your relationships. But no, just the ones over here. No, there's so many more that God wants to tap into. So thank you. You guys give it up for Bob. And we're going to pray for you before you go. Yeah. So if you guys would just join me in prayer in your own way, Um, as Bob shared, he's got influence and he's got responsibility. And so let's just pray right now and give him a blessing. God, thank you so much for Bob and his faithful leadership. He has been an example to us here at this place, this church. Uh, He sacrificed uh, dollars and time, Lord, which is sometimes so much harder than dollars, is to give of our precious time resources. He has been an example of his faith. I'm so thankful for that personally, directly. And I'm thankful, God, that you have him at the helm right now at this organization. it, there's a direct line between his character, his leadership, his faith, and the breakthroughs and the impact and the character of those that work at this business, Lord. And that is so cool to see, and you get the glory. I know that Bob would say that and has, in fact, said that, that it's all because of you and what you've done in this man's faith and life and family and in his marriage. Thank you for using him for such a time as this to impact lives and to bring his faith into the workplace. I pray continued favor and blessing through thick and thin over his his business, over his staff, over his family. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Bob. You guys can give it up for Bob one more time. Why not? So like Bucky mentioned, this morning as we continue this series on Work Matters, we're going to be talking about calling and gifting. In 40 minutes or less, we're going to crack open the biggest question, at least that my fellow millennials and Gen Z and people who are in the workplace are hungry to answer Where am I called? God, what are you saying? What am I to do next? And though I don't have a slide for it, you guys, I just want to start by saying this. Every single one of you has been called and gifted. Every single one of you, it is no mistake. 
as we just sang in that song a second ago, God is incapable of failure. He did not misstep by placing you on this earth. You are called here for a reason, and you are gifted for those reasons and those purposes. I want you to understand that as we start. If we're going to talk about calling, however, we need to talk about the caller. Isn't that true? If we are called, it means that someone is doing the calling. And I think that we have a challenge as we so often do, a little bit of a cultural hurdle to get over because today we are so possessed by our independence, our freedom and independence, right? These American values, God bless America, right? We have this freedom and it's a blessing, it's a gift to live in a country where we have that freedom. Absolutely, you can be amening in your own heart and in your own way. But all these things have led us also to a free will where it is my will be done. And they have led us to a place of a little bit of hyper-individualism, where I am the center of the universe. And so what do I think and what do I choose about my calling tends to be the proclamations of our day. But if there's a caller, do we really get to choose like that? Is it completely our independence and our individual will? I don't think so. I'm inclined to agree with John Ortberg, a great pastor and author, who says that really calling is more about discovery than choice. So what do we know about the one doing the calling? Let's look at this from John 5. Jesus answered them, my father is always working and I too must work. In this picture, Jesus was being questioned. He was being actually accused, as he so often was, by the religious elite of the day. Why was Jesus breaking the Sabbath, this day of rest, along with his disciples? Why would he do that? And he, he, he claims back to them, my father is always at work, and I too must work. Isn't that true? We'd often, by the way, before you go to the other quote, don't read the quote yet. Isn't that so true? Have you ever thought about what God does? What does God do up in heaven and all around us? What does he do all day? Is he busy at work? If he's in control of everything, is he, if he is all-powerful, is he constantly at work making this world spin, go round and round? Of course he is. And Jesus says, in perfect unity, get this, so important for this morning, in perfect union with the Father, Jesus says, I too am about that business. Okay? He, too, is about that work. This is what John Orkberg says. And because you were made in God's image, if Jesus does what the Father does, we, too, made in the image of God, were created to do work. You were made to create, lead, study, organize, heal, cultivate, or teach. Arthur Miller writes that this is what lies at the heart of seven days a week faith. There is no just one day a week emphasis on faith, and then the rest of the days? What kind of opportunistic God would that be if he just portioned out one day for his business and then the rest was some other? Seven days a week faith, like Bob shared. It is using one's endowed giftedness to serve the world with excellence and through that service to love and honor God. The calling that fully engages what God has given you is a holy task. Here's what I want to say about calling. There is no separation of church and work. There is no holier-than-thou jobs quote like pastor and missionary and then all the rest of the throwaway missions of the world. You as a worker, 
student, stay-at-home parent, and CEO, wherever you lie in that pendulum, you have a holy task to be about the work that Jesus did in the world and that Jesus did in turn because his father demanded it. I'm going to take us back to some church history for a second. So when I read that, I read that from Jesus, from the words of Jesus, and I, and I read that quote. I think about this saying. It's an old church phrase. It comes from, the, it was birthed out of the 1600s. There were some church fathers, some church leaders all the way back in the 1600s, a couple Englishmen and, and a couple Scots that were sprinkled in. And they came together and they came up with these essentially statements of faith. They were doctrinal belief statements of faith. And the very first question that they posed was, what is the chief end of man? Is that not the same heart's cry of every one of us? Where am I called? What ought I to do next, Lord? Where are you and what am I doing? What is the chief end of man? And they answered it in this very simple yet profound way. They said that the chief end of man was to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Isn't that simple and neat? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And for those who are newer to that word glorify, it, it just means simply to reflect the beauty and grace and wonder and awe, the majesty that is God. We get to reflect that into the world and we give God thanks back to him because he, again, is responsible for all of it. It's the enjoyment part that I think so often we skip over or maybe we were never taught, right? Because we're such workers, we're such producers, we're such laborers, we're such performers that we forget that the chief end of man doesn't make, again, no separation, no segregation. No, for just for some people over here and then another people over here. No, the chief end of man is to glorify God of every man. And I believe that God baked this into our nature when he created us, day one. It's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Here's the practical application if you're ready. He is the source. He is the source of all meaning, value, and significance. If you, like me, I shared two weeks ago how even I have used the church as a means for my significance and my meaning and my value. If you, like me, have been running to your work for value and significance, I have a tip, and I'm so sorry to burst the bubble, but you will not find it there. Or if you do, it is wholly secondary. Every single one of us, and I'm just going first to admit this, I was born and raised a Christian, you guys, and I missed this lesson in Christian daycare. I missed this lesson in Sunday school, that I was to enjoy him. Awesome. If you were like me and you have any experience with religion and church, I think the first takeaway, right, is what are the religious rights and principles? What are we to do? And yet we find out that these men, yes, way back in the 1600s, using scripture, they suggested to glorify God and to enjoy him. What are they saying? That union with Christ is where we go for our meaning, our value, and our significance. Do, do we get that that's the big idea about the caller? If we're going to understand calling, we have to understand the caller. And you have to meet him, you guys. You have to go and be with him. I am so aware of how redundant that sounds for the pastor to get up here and say, go spend time with Jesus this week. Go and spend another 15 minutes, another hour, another day just communing with Jesus and enjoying his presence. Yes, in his word and in prayer. But I think it's worth it to be redundant at this point because we skipped that class, you guys. 
If we are to get any meaning, any value, any significance from what we do in work, we have to go and be with him. Before we do anything, John 5, Jesus in this passage, he had such union with the Father, and that is where all his meaning and value came from. We cannot skip this step, okay? Everyone agree? Yes? Okay, good. You said you agree, so that means you're never going to skip that step again, okay? You're going to go to him, you're going to find enjoyment in God first, even though it's mysterious, and you're wondering, Ben, I just don't hear him, I don't know him, you just go, just try for 15, six minutes, for six minutes, just set a timer for six minutes, and be quiet, and be alone for six minutes. Money back guarantee, okay? Money back guarantee. You try it, and you come back and tell me that you didn't hear from him, that you didn't meet him in six minutes or less, if it was totally quiet, if you were totally alone. Don't cheat. If you cheat, that's on you, okay? You reap what you sow. But if it's quiet and you're totally solo, set the timer for six minutes and watch what happens, okay? Let's get on to calling. I think if we're going to talk about calling, look no further than the man Moses and the burning bush. You guys remember the story, don't you? Moses was a man like any one of us. Yes, he ended up being this great deliverer, as we're going to find out, but Moses was a man. He lived about 1,300 years before the time of Jesus. He, was from, uh, he came from a Jewish heritage, and he was born during a time of basically captivity in Egypt, where the Jewish people were a, were a slave race, a slave population uh, to the Egyptian nation. And Moses was, of course, sent as a baby down the river, and then Pharaoh picks him up, his household, and he's raised there. But like I said, Moses is a man. Moses had to go through his, his stumbling and his failures of his calling and his leadership. Before ever he was the one who was, let my people go. He was the guy who kills a man and then runs away from that murder. Profound, right? That we sometimes skip over that. So if we're going to talk about calling, look no further than Moses. Let's go back to the classic story. We're going to read it all the way through because class is in session. And I love, I love how it just says that in the Bible heading. That's a heading the Bible came up with. The call of the deliverer. It means Moses is getting his assignment. Moses, in this case, would be the deliverer. Is that beautiful? And we, too, get to be co-creators, co-healers, co-leaders in God's great mission in the world. Whatever we do for a living, we get to be about that work. Here it is in uh, Exodus, the book of Exodus. One day while Moses was taking care of the sheep and goats of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, he led the flock across the desert and came to Sinai, the holy mountain. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him as a flame coming from the middle of a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but that it was not burning up. That's strange, he thought. Why isn't the bush burning up? I will go closer and I will see. Verse 4. When the Lord saw that Moses was coming closer, he called him from the middle of the bush and said, Say it with me. Moses, Moses. Did, some of you just said the first one and not the second one. I want you to go all in. And we're going to say both names and we're going to say it together in unison. Are you ready? Say it with me. Moses, Moses. Because when God calls a man, sometimes we're hard of hearing. And he needs to say it twice. All right? He knew, even back then, even with the burning bush, that we might be hard of hearing. Yes, the God of the Bible, the God of Moses, knew that he would be the God of Amazon and the technology era, and we'd be a little bit distracted by all the noise. So when he calls a man or woman, he calls him by name. He calls you by name. That's what this sentence, this line actually means. He called him by name. He answered, yes, here I am. Verse 5. Okay, let's calm down, Ben. Verse 5. God said, don't come any closer. 
take off your sandals because you're standing on holy ground. I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Moses covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Can we just disband for a second this idea of sacred secular? Let me ask you a question, and you can really answer. Did this take place on a hill, or did it take place in a church? The hill! Took place out in the bush? Whoa! Does God not own it all? God owns it all. He owns it all. If he wants to make it holy, he can make it holy. Okay? He can meet you in your workplace no matter where it is. He can call you in your workplace no matter where it is. There is no sacred and secular divide. God owns it all. Then the Lord said, verse 7, I have seen how cruelly my people are being treated in Egypt. I've heard them cry out to be rescued from their slave drivers. I know all about their sufferings. I have indeed heard the cry of my people, and I see how the Egyptians are oppressing them. Now I'm sending you, I'm sending you to the king of Egypt so that you can lead my people out of this country. But Moses said to God, I'm a nobody. How can I go to the king and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you. And when you bring the people out of Egypt, you will worship me on this mountain. That will be the proof that I have sent you. You see how important it is to understand that there's a caller forever. There's a calling. And if you're like me, you're reading this classic story that you've heard a million times in kids' class once again. And you're saying, yeah, Ben, that was really cool to have a burning bush tell me what to do. Where's my burning bush moment? Where's my siren? Where's my clarion call? So obvious and clear in the writing on the wall about what I am to do next. You're right. What a challenge, isn't it? That we don't get a burning bush every week or every year or every two years when we're transitioning jobs or every 10 years or 20 years when we feel a little bit tired of our job. You're right. That is a challenge, isn't it? What do we get instead of a burning bush? What do we get? Oh, well, we got this thing called the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God living in you and me as a gift, as a deposit to every person who believes in Jesus. You get the Spirit of God residing in you. It's a particular and distinctive gift that came with Jesus. Let's look right here. This is not on the screen, but I'm going to read it to you. This is from Luke chapter 24. This is what Jesus said. He set this entire thing up, sending, saying that I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. He said in verse 46, chapter 24, he said to them, this is what is written, the Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and, re and the repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. This is the gospel. You are witnesses of these things, speaking to the disciples. And look, I am sending you what my Father promised. I am sending you what my Father promised. That is the Holy Spirit. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. Until you are empowered with the Spirit. Let's go over to John 15. I'm just telling you. Because again, this class was skipped for me. In all my Christian formation, in all my upbringing, no one paused and stopped and said, Ben, child, teenager Ben, you understand that the Spirit of God is at your disposal in the form of the Holy Spirit. This class was skipped. Okay, let's just go. keep going. Here we go. John 15. John 15, all right? John 15, all the way close to the end of the chapter. John, in his gospel, this is Jesus' words again. He said that he would send the great, great counselor or the great advocate. For chapter 15, verse 26. When the counselor comes, the one I will send you from the Father. What does that sound like? The spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will testify about me. You also will testify because you have been with me from the beginning. He's going to send this advocate, this counselor, the very spirit of God living in you and me. What did Paul go on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 6? That we are a temple and the spirit of God will reside in that place awesome. 
No burning bush. Look no further than to find the Father God who resides in you. Guys, we've skipped that class. We've jumped over that lesson. Maybe we just need a reminder that Jesus said he was going to set this up and he would not let us be alone. Do not be dismayed. I'm sending you a helper, an advocate. You have been called. A calling. A calling is not something that you, it is something you discover, not something you choose. The word vocation comes from the Latin word for voice. You can hear this, the, the voice of God, you guys. He's so eager to speak to you, to meet you in your calling questions. Discovering it involves very, say, say it with me, it involves very what? Careful listening. It involves what? Careful listening. People will sometimes speak about choosing their calling, but a chosen calling is an oxymoron. The whole idea of a calling is taken from Scripture where time after time God calls someone to do his work. The whole idea of calling is that there is a caller and a call e. So remember this, you guys, before we pivot to gifting. There is a great caller. There is a great caller. And we are to enjoy him. We are to enjoy him. He comes close in the form of the Holy Spirit. And he is available to every single one of us. We are not shortchanged. We are not cut short. He is unfailing. He is an unfailing, faithful God like we sang a second ago. He promised the Holy Spirit and he delivers every single time. There is a great caller. And guess what? He knows you. He knows you so well. He designed you. He designed your personalities, your traits, your giftings, your talents as well. So let's look at gifting. Here's another moment. Moses now, a little bit further down the road, he's freed the people. And now the people are out and they're wandering in the wilderness. And God figures it's time. I want you to build my holy temple. I want you to build a tabernacle, a temple, a church, so to speak, for my people to gather and, and commune and meet with me. Because in these days, they didn't have the Holy Spirit like we do, by the way. What happened? Moses had to go and meet and convene with God as a special designated person. And now those of us who have Christ Jesus, who have experienced the forgiveness of Christ Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit. It's beautiful, isn't it? There's this moment they're going to build. Did I say that the, church, that the Bible was a, was a story about a people at work? Did I say that? Yes or no? Yeah, I did. Let's find out what kind of stuff they were building. Let's find out what was going on. This is from Exodus 35. It says, Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel. Nailed that pronunciation. Son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the spirit of God. Because that was a special thing at that time for that to happen. With wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of mad skills. Verse 32. To make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze. To cut and set stones. To work in wood and to engage in all kinds of artistic crafts. All kinds of stuff. Verse 34, and he has given both him and Oliab, son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, nailed it, the ability to teach others. Verse 35, he has filled them with skill. Say, skill. Say, he has filled them with skill. To do all kinds of work. Say, all kinds of work. Not little bits of kinds of work. Not just a side hustle kind of work. All kinds of work. As engravers, designers, embroiders. Should I keep going? I'm going to keep going just to finish because we're so close. In blue, purple, scarlet yarn, and fine linen, and weavers. All of them, what? Say it with me. Skilled workers and designers. Wow, man. They were chosen. 
It says that they were chosen, means they were literally called. That's the translation of that one line. Chosen means called by name. He called you by name to fulfill a purpose according to his design and according to his giftings. Again, the spirit of God, the same spirit, even though he fell in certain times and places, the spirit came, in other words, or fell, we say sometimes in the church, on certain people in certain times and places in the Old Testament, now with a new relationship in Jesus, it's a gift given to all of us, right? Is it a gift given to all of us? Have, I, have we settled that? Union with Christ, us in him, him in us, it's beautiful arrangement. And yet there's this specific thing, skill, understanding, and knowledge. I went into the, into the commentary of the Bible that I was reading, and it gives us a wonderful working definition because I would want to know what that means if, if I were you. And here's what it says. How have we been all, all of us, all of us, generally gifted by the Spirit of God? And here's what it says. It says that skill is defined as the ability to produce something valuable to God and the community. Whoa. Awesome. Not just the special missionaries and pastors. The designers, the artists, the craftsmen. Understanding is the ability to distinguish between things, to perceive the best way to follow, and knowledge is the experiential awareness of how things are done. Those, that's like the English translation of what just happened in that verse that we just read from Moses. And that has been imparted to every single one of us. Craftsmen and artistic designers. Here's what it makes me think. Did God know what he was doing? Did God know what he was doing when he called us into the earth? Did, did he have a, some forethought about the plans and purposes for our lives and how our equipment, our gifts, our talents, our strengths, were going to work towards those ends? Of course he did. Of course he did. And this is why. Look at this. This is from, this is from Ortberg quoting another guy. This is what he says. We didn't give ourselves the personalities, talents, or longings we were born with. When we fulfill these, these gifts from beyond ourselves, it's like fulfilling something we were meant to do. Awesome. The creator of all things knows the name of each of us. Is that not a great comfort that you are not alone and that he named you? He named you. He called you. The great caller. He called you and he set you up for success because he gave you these personalities and these talents. He knows your name. He knows thoroughly, better than we do ourselves, what it is in us. For he put it there and intends for us to do something with it. What a bonus. That, that, that it wasn't a waste. All those who are not missionaries and pastors. Awesome. That God would not be wasteful in that way. That he would be intentional. The most just beyond our imagination with his creative design. We do something with it. Something that meshes with his intentions for many other people. Our God is a communal God. I will tell you that right now. There is no just, I get to win for me. I get to succeed. I get a wonderful performance review. I get a, I get a bonus and a raise uh, for me in isolation. No. Uh, like Bob so eloquently and beautifully put, whatever the favor was that he experienced in his business, he, he poured out and said, this is not my stuff. This is for the people of God. I bring it back to God. And I'm trusting the leadership to do what they will with the monies and with my time as he was also a volunteer. We, we bring those offerings to the Lord because it's a communal thing. God and his saving mission on earth is using the church, every single one of us. It is a communal affair. It is never just us in isolation as one individual, even one household. It is a totally communal event for many other people. If we do not always think of it that way, each of us was given a calling. So can we just give God some credit? That's what I want to do some more, this morning, if you couldn't tell. Can we give God some credit, you guys? 
Yeah, because we're, we're, we're running through this life sometimes like chickens with our heads cut off. Where's God now? Where's my burning bush moment? What am I called to do? Where should I turn next? I wish you would speak. And some of us are not looking for a calling. We're looking for an escape hatch, you guys. We're just looking for a way to get out of that which he has already called us to. Can we be honest with that? And yet we haven't spared the time to go and convene with him, to enjoy his presence, hear his voice. He wants so badly to talk to you. And that's why we run around a little bit like, why God, why God, why God, why God, why God, why, why, how, and what? With all the hows and whys and whats. And he's dying to speak to you and he will through the promise of his Holy Spirit that is inside you and me. The iPad's freaking out here. Let's see. We're called. We are called and we are amazingly gifted. What did the workers do here in, in Exodus 36? What did they do? Instead of uh, responding to Moses, yeah, but how and why and when? And why was I given the gifts of embroidery? And why was I given this artistic? Why do I have to be so creative? God, just, why? Before we begin, why and how and what? This is the response instead. This is what it says that they did, Exodus, back to Exodus 36. Moses summoned uh, Bezalel and Oholiab and every skilled person in whom the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him to volunteer. To what? To volunteer. To do the work. A plus in the middle here. One more time because I don't want to leave her alone. For him to what? Volunteer to do the work. And they received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to do the work for the service of the sanctuary. And they still continued to bring them a free will offering each morning. Their hearts were willing. They volunteered. They brought their time, their talent, and even their treasure to God with a willing heart. With a willing heart. And they brought it to overflowing. They didn't ask who, what, why, when, how. They just said, okay, yeah. They woke up. They said, I'm gifted. I have some skill. And now Moses is directing our steps into how we're to apply those skills. And it's the same in your workplace, you guys. God will not leave you floundering. He will not leave you drowning as to the what and the why and the who. He's the great caller. And he has built in and designed in you these amazing gifts and skills. Here's what I want to do as we wind down and the band comes up. I, I, I got some, some questions for you and for yours so those who have biological kids, those who maybe have spiritual kids, people of every age that they're mentoring or coaching, you're a spiritual parent to them, or maybe you're a biological parent, and you're trying to help someone find out, where am I called? There's, this is like, the, this is the slide, okay? These are the questions. These are the questions that you go through. This is, what, this is like the moment where you take your phone out and take a picture. And, well, that was pretty good. I might use that next time. This is that slide, okay? I just did that. This is a concession for you. Maybe it's you. And you're wondering that question, where am I called? And is God calling me out? Or what is he saying? What is he doing? This is the moment. These are some beautiful questions. I'm not going to go through all of them except for to affirm number one, which is how has God designed me as we're talking about giftings. And I love that phrase, like a glove. Oh, man. Is that not the most perfect illustration? Because we've all experienced it. Just think about a garment of any kind, because most of us don't wear gloves in this county and when we're driving. If you do, I'm not hating. I'm not knocking you. That's great. I love driving gloves. I, I want to graduate to that status one day when I'm ready. Um, but the perfect pair of socks, pants, shirt, dress, sweater, the garment, you know, it just fits perfectly. 
You can imagine that in, in some human lens, and that, be, that be, begin, begins, just begins to scratch the surface of what God does when he builds a human being and sends him into the world that is perfect for that lane, just perfect for that calling, has the exact equipment, the exact experiences, the exact circumstances around us, the exact people that we need to use as a sounding board. We're out there, guys, the next generation. I love this church. I love that at this church, we have so many 40s, 50s, 60s, and beyond. I love it because I just want to unleash you on your neighbors, your friends, and your coworkers. Because my friends, who are 20 and 30, are dying. They're dying to get some wise counsel. They're dying to hear from someone what that person sees in them. Because they're just like, oh, I'm just going to go to the internet, and I'm going to go to my phone, and I'm going to go to myself. Self, what am I hearing? What are you calling me, self? They, we need, the next generation desperately needs voices who will remind them that there's a great caller and he's designed you like a glove for your role in this world, whether it's a student, stay-at-home parent, or a CEO, or something in between. I, I want to give you a challenge, though. I want to give you a challenge because this is where my heart races uh, deeply, having kids and two of them that are in the front row. I want to give you an admonishment because... You, Raised in this county, we are so prone to the status, success, performance, accomplishment wheel. If we're not careful, if we don't do this on Sunday morning and remind ourselves of the gospel, if we don't gather ourselves together, and if we don't pray daily on our own, we may succumb to the status, success, performance, accomplishment wheel. And I want to challenge you. You have a choice for the next generation that you're building into. Whether they're your biological kids or spiritual kids, you got a choice. We can produce little cogs or little Christs. Funny kind of phrase, isn't it? But that's how the first Christians came to get that name. In the very first century, they were called Christians. It meant little Christs. We can raise up the next generation of doers, performers, and great accomplishments. Oh, their, their skills will lead to great accumulation, wonderful accumulation, wonderful things for this life on earth. But I would just say, beware for the moment you sense in your child at every age or the person you're building into in the next generation, where you sense that they just don't care anymore. When you start to sense a slide in the way that a human being cares, beware of the child or the next generation person that you're building into. Beware of what's happening in their heart and in their character when they just don't care as much anymore. Is that such a simple word? I read that last week and I, I could quote Proverbs and I could quote verses and I could get into all this doctrine, this fancy stuff, but I just, the word is care. That the people that we're raising up in the next generation actually care about what they're doing with their hands, what they're doing with the relationships that are in front of us every single day. You can lead a, a, you can lead a child into Ivy League and to just be brilliant and productive and networked and full of promise, but the moment that you sense that they've lost that, that care for what it is that God is doing in the world, that's a scary moment for me. I want to raise my kids. This is my last word. This is my last word. There's a guy, his name was Diedrich Bonhoeffer. A lot of you, you're shaking your heads, you're familiar with Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer lived in Germany during the time of Adolf Hitler. And he was ultimately killed because he was a part of an assassination attempt on the guy. He was a Christian leader 
pastor. And, and he, he, had, he said this one line that has haunted me to this very day. And I would like to put it up as a placard in my house. And I would like to pray it over my kids. As gruesome as it is, as gnarly as it is, my hope for my kids that I'm sending into the world, my hope for you that, I'm, that we are sending into the world tomorrow morning is this, that when Christ calls a man or a woman, he bids them come and die. That's what Bonhoeffer said. And if that's too obscure and without context, this is what he said in the greater context. He said, the cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering which every man or woman must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old person which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, that is formation in Christ, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. That's not very encouraging, Ben, but it is. Oh, it is. We give our lives over to him in death. Thus it begins. Actually, the cross is just the beginning. It's the launch pad for all of the things. Thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. Remember to bring him glory and to enjoy him forever. When Christ calls a man or woman, he bids them to come and die. It may be a death like that of the first disciples who had to leave home and work and family to follow him. Or maybe the death like Luther's, Martin Luther, who had to leave the monastery and go out into the world. But it's the same death every time, death in Jesus, the death of the old person at his call. Now, I'm just trying to be a mind reader. Uh, Forgive me for that. But many of us are thinking, Ben, yeah, I'm going to go home and I'm going to tell my five-year-old that's their calling, that Christ bids you to die, little Johnny or Susie. But isn't that what we do? When we read them books of these amazing heroes and heroines, we take them to the latest movie of the most amazing heroes, and they're willing to lay down their lives for the cause. You have been given, like a glove, you have been given the greatest cause of all history and all humanity to partner with Christ in the mission to redeem a broken world. And it means even at the expense of death, you're willing to pull that call and answer that call. That's all that matters. It's all that matters. Not the fame and status and production cycle. It doesn't lead to anything after this life. So in whatever call he's spoken over you and in you and whatever giftings and equipment he's bestowed upon you, that would be my prayer, that we would all leave this place with a renewed passion for our 90,000 hours, that even in our work, whatever industry, that Christ is calling you to come and die. And in that, a new beginning of new life. Because you can't get to resurrection without a death on the cross. You can't get to new life. You can't get to healing. You can't get to those things without being dead with Christ. Being willing to, at least, to show him that willingness. And he's faithful to respond. We're going to go to communion right now to celebrate that very thing. We get to celebrate. That's how. That's how come we can celebrate communion. Just what Bonhoeffer says, that that in this death, what we celebrate here, and there's stations in the front and the back, I'm going to pray briefly, and then the guys are going to sing a song or two, and just take this moment, don't miss it, this is enjoyment with Christ, this is communion with Christ, wherever your week and your weekend has led you, come now to the table, and don't miss the opportunity to take of it, freely given, that leads to this resurrection life throughout the rest of the week. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you for this word. 
of calling and gifting. Thank you that you are the great caller. Ah, we're not left to our own devices. We are not alone. You are the great caller. You will not neglect us. You do not abandon us. Thank you, Jesus. And thank you for the call to enjoy you. Father, I just pray right now over anyone here right now who has made it more than that. I think about the worship song. I'm sorry for all that I've made it. I've made it all out to be faith, church, the Bible, Jesus. I'm sorry for all that I've made it. And for those who feel the same way, Lord, just take up our confession. Take up our prayers. Receive us in only the way that you can. And we would exchange that production, even that doing for Christ. And we'd exchange that for the gift of enjoyment. Right now, even in this moment as we take communion, give every single man, woman, and child here a spirit of enjoyment as they take the communion elements. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go when you're ready to the stations there. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, or are interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.